Welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. My guest today is Holly Eastberg. She has the website, HebrewRootsMom.com. She also has a book called Bring Shalom to Your Home, A Guide to Biblical Hebraic Living for Christians. Holly has a God-giving passion to help Christians grow spiritually by exploring the Hebraic roots of their faith. She is a mom and a wife. She has five children who she homeschools. She's pretty active on her website in her Messianic congregation as well. When I first started looking at your website, I realized it's like, oh, I've got to have her on this podcast. And I thought we have so many similarities and she's been doing this longer probably than I have. But I found out that she was a biology major, which I am pre-med. We were both pre-med kind of focus. And then I wanted to be a vet, but she went into veterinarian medicine. Um, I believe you, you probably worked in the background. You were a technician. technician. Yep. And then we both homeschooled our children and all these little things I started finding out that we were very, very similar. We both have blogs. And so we both became very passionate about the Hebrew roots and about the Jewishness of Jesus. And we both feel called to teach other believers. You know, we were both brought up in churches, just like most of the people who probably mm-hmm. listen to this podcast. And so we were taught the same things, same beliefs, same influence you know, came to know Jesus in our churches. And I think that the Lord just started calling us into a deeper relationship in in a different way, but I'll let her explain some of those things. So welcome. Thanks very much. Yeah. Like you said, I'm a wife and a mom and I have five kids and I homeschool them and keep up the blog. And I, I do some part-time work for a ministry. So I stay pretty busy. Um, I love to write and yes, it's my passion to kind of be the bridge for when Christians reach a point in their faith where they want to take it on a more Hebraic path. So you wrote in the bio you gave me about wanting to, to minister to Christians who want a more biblical faith. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, most of us brought up in the church were like, what? I have a biblical faith and I've been raised with the Bible. I mean, I know the Bible. I've met, I read it through every year and we have a whole list of things that we do and and know, but, but what do you mean when you say? So I would say, take for example, um, the Sabbath. And that's kind of what started me down this path. I was in a Bible study and we were talking about the Sabbath and the question came up, how do you keep the Sabbath? You know, how do you keep that commandment? And um, everybody in the room kind of didn't know what are we supposed to do? What do we do, you know, to keep the Sabbath? Does the day matter? Does what I do matter? You know, these types of things. And I was like, that can't be, we, there has to be an answer to that. So I really started digging, kind of figured out, you know, what God said about the Sabbath. The way that we did it was just kind of how everybody else around us did it instead of the biblical way of following, you know, keeping the Sabbath. When I had looked into that, I also came across Passover and how, you know, I didn't know anything about Passover at all other than the Passover, you know, from the story of the Exodus. So I looked into that and and I saw that it many places said to keep it for generations. And I was like, well, how do I even do that? Some of that stuff is in the Bible. And then I looked to Jewish sources because 
they have been keeping these things, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the Passover and the other holy days for thousands of years. So I kind of started there and to try to see how to apply these biblical concepts that I was really convicted about to my life. I understand that because I think my journey just began in really studying the word of God and I wanted to do a deep dive. And like you, I started looking at the Jewish sources because I thought, hey, this the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. I can't understand Hebrew, but there are people out there who can. There are Messianic Jewish people who t- certainly understand the language and who know the Messiah and who can be a valuable help. And for me, I started just getting like, why do they translate or interpret this verse this way? And why does my pastor interpret it this way? And who's right and who's mm-hmm. wrong? And and it made me want to dig. You know, I mean, I remember the one of the very first things I learned was that Luke was probably a Jewish man. He was a, probably a Hellenistic Jew, which means he, he may have even been born in Greece, but he was born into at least one parent, like Timothy, of a Jewish family. And that's why he knew so much about Jesus and the temple and, you know, everything he writes about is very Jewish. It's not Gentile looking at a Jewish life. It's a Jewish man looking at a Jewish man's life, you know? And so I was like, oh my goodness, how come I didn't know that? How come no one said that before? So I just started getting kind of worked up over like all the stuff that I'd never been taught. And I think that's what got me on this path Mm -hmm. to keep now exploring what is Shabbat? What are the feasts of the Lord? And why should I keep them? Why do I why do I do these things or, and should I, I think everybody starts somewhere when you start taking this journey, like you and I have, have been on and others like us. Yes. And, and I'm not saying that in a way it's me against anybody else or against the church. You know, the church has done a great deal for both of us and we wouldn't be where we are to have the freedom to study these things if it weren't for our foundation, but God's calling us deeper and God wants to call us deeper as we are obedient he will show us more and more so I think that's we got there in different ways but we're kind of in the same place yes learning the same things and that's the process of growth we're not supposed to um, realize that the God of the Bible is the God of the universe. And we're not supposed to realize that Jesus is the Messiah and then stay there. And so as we grow more, we want to naturally align our lives with what God says and what God wants from us. So I think this is just a continuation of the same path, really. And I have a good friend who always talks about the layers of the Bible. And I think that when we're taught to start studying the Bible. I wasn't taught to look for deeper layers. I wasn't taught to study. You know, that was kind of my own personal walk with Jesus. He just started leading me like into word studies and leading me into different things. And, oh, let's look at the Greek of this and let's look at the Hebrew of this. And and pretty soon I was like, yeah, just it, it wasn't so much that I just read the Bible from cover to cover and decided, oh, this is all very good you know, and that, and left myself there. Right. Right. And we're not supposed to, but we're kind of stuck in a rut. I think as a church, we, we depend more on our pastors than we do the Holy spirit. I agree with that. 
Yes, yes. And on our own, just digging of through the Bible. And I think uh, my husband always says it's it's the internet. The internet brought out, you know, all of this. And, and the internet does some bad things and it does some great things. And I do think that yes. there are more resources available for us and things like Blue Letter Bible and things like, you know, technology has really helped us dig further into our mm-hmm. Bible. So, you know, you say, well, you started this out and you didn't know any Hebrew or whatever. You can go to those resources and still dig those, you know, Hebrew meanings up <laughs> without even knowing the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. today, I think we're at a different place right. um, than we were even what ten years ago. So. Oh yeah, and and I think even with more Jews that are coming to know the Messiah, they're bringing with them everything they've ever learned right. and heard as a Jewish person, and even if they were slightly secular Jews, they still had some knowledge and they bring that knowledge. And then let alone if they were Orthodox and they understand Hebrew and they know the rabbinical writings and they know the rabbinical teaching. Um, You know, I was asked once to do a class on rabbinical writings and I learned a lot, you know, about Mm -hmm. the Torah and the, the oral Torah. And we tend to look at those things and say, oh no, 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 no. Those are all legalistic. Those are all bad. And when we understand that Torah is the teaching of God, the instructions of God, it opens up a whole new world when we allow him to show us. Yes. So I was really uncomfortable, actually, with the Jewishness of this whole way of thinking um, at the beginning. And um, I kind of tried to do the research while staying away from Jewish sources. but. I really think that if you separate, um, especially the New Testament from the culture that it was in at the time, you can't fully understand what's going on there. For example, you know, Moses and Elijah show up and Jesus is there and Peter is there. And Peter says this very strange thing. He says, well, I'm, I'm going to set up some shelters for you guys. It taken out of context. So that's, Sukkot. And and he's realizing that this happening here, Moses and Elijah show up and now he's realizing this is really the Messiah here. So, so he kind of goes into the mode of, of celebration of Sukkot, but you can't see that unless Sukkot has been a part of your life. Like it was theirs. Yeah. I really think that it has to be part of it. And, and like I said earlier, so Thousands of years they've been doing this. Like you're saying, the rabbinical writings, they have really been digging deep. And, you know, the books that I've read, there's some great Christian books out there, but there's some out there just written just by somebody who just writes a book to write a book. And um, I can't see that we can weigh those equally with thousands of years of Jewish processing of all of this information. So that's a great, great point because I totally agree. The things I have been learning in the last few months about the parallels between people, between circumstances within even the Old Testament, if we just took the Old Testament and looked at the parallels between the creation story and Noah, I mean, that was one of the things I learned. The order in which things happen, go back to the order in which things happen at creation. And I was just blown away. There's so many amazing parallels, even between Abraham and his sons, and then um, the sons of Cain and the similar names. 
that, you know, there's like Lamech, I think it's L-E-M-A-C-H, but there's a, a one and a two because the name's repeated with different sons of Adam, you know, with Cain's sons and then with Seth. And it's very amazing to me because I, um, I alone without these rabbinical guides, I would have never, ever seen those parallels. I would have never seen even what we call a chiasm. It's a very Jewish way of writing. I mm-hmm. would have never seen or heard of that without exploring those rabbinical texts. Now it's, and I think we need to make distinction. It's, it's rabbinical teaching because like you said, they had the Bible for almost 2000 years. I should say the Hebrew texts, Hebrew scriptures for almost 2000 years before the church ever had them before the new Testament ever came. But, Mm -hmm. but I think that it's so important to at least look at them as a learning tool. Right. I don't follow rabbinic law and, and all of that. I don't follow those things. And I tried, I just, you know, let's face it just to follow everything God tells us to do is, (laughs) is enough, you know, in our lives, it's, it's more than enough. (laughs) So And that was partly what Jesus said. Why did he say, you're putting a burden on my people and my burden is light? He's talking about my teaching is light. You know, I don't put more on you than my father says, than my father desires. And so it's really good that you brought that up because I think that's a really important point. Like you were saying about the, the patterns in Genesis and how that repeats. So those patterns are very important. And again, Um, It's rabbis that bring those to light from a long time ago. So we can take those patterns and we can look at the Bible and we might not know the details about the end times or whatever, you know, some things that haven't happened yet. But we can look at those patterns and we can see how they show that they weave throughout scripture and throughout history. And so we can kind of tell what kinds of things will happen in the future because we can see those patterns repeated. And also, I mean, and Revelation picks those back up from Genesis and from other places in the Torah. So from Exodus. That. Right, right. It's very, very cool. And I think that's what makes the Bible come alive. And that's why when people listen to somebody like you or somebody like me, and they're like, why are they so excited about the Bible? <laughs> yes. <laughs> why? What? Why it makes them so excited? And it's like, oh, but you don't see. You're not digging enough. You're not seeing these exciting things that... God's word is living, just like Hebrew says, it is living and it is active. And it's because it, everything repeats. That's why, you know, you, you know, as I mean, history repeats itself. If we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. You know, those, all those sayings and, and it's true though. I mean, history repeats itself. And I, I heard it said where God works in a cyclical kind of a cycle where he comes back. And I, I heard one teacher talk about a very good book and I'll mention The Epic of Eden and it's it's written by a seminary professor her name was Sandra Reichter and she talks about when God put Adam and Eve in Eden it was his desire and his intent to have fellowship with us walking with us in the garden well when we read Revelation what does he bring back but the garden of Eden the tree of life he goes full circle and it's so cool Yes. It's exciting because it's like a light bulb went on. It's like all of a sudden everything fits together. And I see those, the weird thing, like Peter's weird behavior with the, with the, you know, shelters. 
And I'm like, oh, I get it. That's why he said that. And then you learn something more about that story than I would have just taken away with just looking at it with eyes from my culture. So it's very exciting. It's hard because when you start reading the Bible, like we have been taught to read it through Western eyes. And I did a podcast with Lois Tverberg, and she talked about Hebrew eyes and Hebrew thinking versus Greek thinking or Western thinking, because basically Greek and Western synonymous. I can't even talk today, Yes, (laughs) but we're kind of saying the same thing. It's interesting because our culture is very different than the Middle Eastern culture and their foundations are very different than our foundations. And our schools, our way of learning, our way of writing, all of them are different. There's a stark difference between the two. And when we take our our Western eyes and we read Middle Eastern texts with them, we're going to run into issues. We're going to also interpret things incorrectly yes. Yes. because we're trying to do it with a different set of hermeneutics. Yes. And I think there's a language issue too. Um, particularly between Hebrew and English, you know, not everything really translates. And it takes a while of being steeped in learning Hebrew that you realize that not everything's coming through. For example, um, just the word shalom, which everybody knows, and they would say, well, shalom means peace. And that's how your Bible translates it. And I'm not saying that's a bad translation, but shalom means all sorts of things. It means completeness. It means perfection and just fulfillment, all sorts of stuff is wrapped up in that word. And that's how Hebrew is. You know, it's like, it's not one word equals another word in English. It's one word equals this whole cloud of words. And how do you translate that? You know, so I think learning Hebrew has really also brought out that deeper meaning just because you can't really get it from a translation into English. You're right. And even even knowing, like you said, the background of the stories. I mean, I read Mark 7, which talks about when um, the Pharisees, and we also had, I mean, that's a whole nother subject, but there were different Pharisees that believed different things and they added to the laws and they impressed their laws on the people. And actually you could die for not following their laws as opposed to just being punished for not following God's Torah. But you could die for not following Pharisaical law. Think about that. It's like I can like in our day and time, if you were to die Mm -hmm. for speeding, but you didn't die for stealing, you know, or you were just slightly punished for stealing or taking the Lord's name in vain or whatever, you know, but but something that's man's law, you could be killed for it. But I remember that in uh, Mark seven, it was talking the Pharisees were mad because the disciples were eating with dirty hands. And what they believed is that by eating with dirty hands, you made your food unclean. And again, that word food, we try to look at from Western eyes. But when the Bible talks about food, it's food. That was food to them. It's meat. That was food. Because Anything that God said wasn't clean was not even food. Absolutely. If it was unclean, it was not food. Right. So food is clean. Right. When I have this conversation with people, I tend to throw in something that horrifies all of us. Like I would say, so if I say food or I say meats, you know, 
I, you know, that I'm not talking about say like cats or something, right? So because, because we don't think that in their context, I mean, food, yes, is, it was clear to them. Um, but that's another thing that in our culture isn't quite clear because we do eat different types of meats than that. Mm -hmm. And, and I just found it interesting that what was unclean was more about their hands being unclean. Mm -hmm. The whole thing he was talking about, it's not your unclean hands. It's not eating with dirty hands that makes your food or you unclean. Exactly. It's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. And, and so we have to understand the difference. And, and I, I even heard something that they believe that if a demon was in them, it came out through their fingers. And if they didn't wash their hands, then that thing, that demon went back into them when they ate. Mm -hmm. And so they, and, and I read that in one of the sources from, um, actually, a um, a Hebrew teacher that taught for Moody Bible Institute, but, but very interesting when you start understanding the, their beliefs. You know, I'll provide the other side of the of the argument here. They believed that the, it was the rabbi's job to put fences around the law just to make sure that people didn't get close to breaking the law. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I feel like um, Christians have their ways of doing this, too. So, I mean, there's many Christians that I know or many believers of all of all types that that don't drink. You know, they don't drink alcohol, not because God said don't drink alcohol, but because it could lead to sin or it could lead somebody else to sin. And that's something that we're responsible for. So they, you know, take that out of their life entirely. And I think that's what the the rabbis were trying to do here. And I don't think that's bad. Um, the problem that Jesus had with it, though, is that they raised it above God's laws. And we just have to always remember um, in carrying out our faith that we can't make ourselves into God by making, you know, making up our own laws or things like that. We have to keep in mind, you know, that God, God's God and we're not right. So um, just that's, I think that's the, the problem they fell into was pride. And I think yeah. we can do the same thing. Yes. So totally agree there. We can see the religious spirit come out on Facebook or Twitter or <laughs> I, right. Yes. Right. And so, you know, I have to say, as far as Hebrew roots goes, or um, the the Hebrew roots movement, or Hebraic believers, or Messianic Gentiles, or Messianic Christians, or whatever it is you could call us, um, yeah, if you go search that on the internet, you're going to find all kinds of things. And I think that's in one way good, because people are, you know, they're digging in the Bible and searching out the path that they are convicted to take by the Spirit. But it's bad in that there's a lot of voices out there and um, not all of them are scriptural and not all of them are inspired. And you just that has to be between you and God, what you take in, because you really have to use your discernment to to filter out those voices. So very good point again. Of, and and you even explain that a little bit. You talk about on your website, the Hebrew roots movement, what it is and what it isn't. If you want to go into a little more detail about that, because I, you're right. I mean. There are those who almost go to actually forgetting about the Messiah and just going so deep into the legalistic Judaism part of it that they forget that the Messiah is still, <laughs> he's, he's alive, he's here now, you know, so I think it, we have to be careful. Yes. So when I wrote that, I was trying to make it clear that what this is, if you go to a Baptist church 
you are under a Baptist convention or some body that says, this is what we believe as this, um, this type of Baptist or as this church or as this group of churches or something, and it holds them together and they're under that umbrella. And the Hebrew roots movement or whatever you want to call it doesn't have that, which I said is good and bad. (laughs) So you have to be careful in discerning in that. However, there are people who go as far as to say, this is a cult. These people have gotten way into, into it being a cult. And it's, it's not that it, it, one, it doesn't fit the definition of that. And then all of us who are in it know that it's not. Um, but there are some misleading messages out there. One of the common things that people say is that we've thrown off grace and now we are saved by our works. And it's not that either. I mean, none of us believe that grace doesn't exist. A lot of things will, in the Bible, will point to our works showing our faith. So what we believe then is a kind of a difference between salvation and sanctification. So salvation being through Jesus. However, the sanctification comes after we're saved, we make changes to our life. And like you and I were talking about earlier, we kind of get back to the Bible and say, well, we want to worship God. How does God want to be worshiped? Or we want to live this out in our life. You know, what does the Sabbath look like now? Things like that. We grow in making that part of our life. As the Bible says that we're supposed to grow in holiness. That's one major misconception and it's all over the place. And it's, it's tragic because then, you know, you have to draw a line between what is sin once you're saved. Like sin is sin, right? But when you're saved, then you are convicted by the spirit to keep moving more and more and more towards what God wants of you. So then I would say, if you are saved, would you be like, well, that's okay. I'm saved by grace. So stealing's okay. Well, no one would say that right? Because you're supposed to move to a place where that isn't okay with you anymore because it's not okay with God. So it's it's just, and like I said at the beginning, a continuation of the same path. We are growing and trying to um, move more into what God wants our faith to look like. And you so. brought up a great point again, because you said it's about how God wants to be worshiped. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get into this mindset of this is how we want to worship him. Right. And it's not necessarily the same thing as he wants. And and I heard this explained in such a way. It says, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, I think is what Deuteronomy says. But what does that look like? Obeying his teachings, obeying his commands. Most of us don't even know that keeping the Sabbath is actually resting. How many Christians work seven days a week? And if they're, even if they're home, they're working, they're landscaping. I mean, I know so many people who spend Sunday afternoon, they might spend Saturday maybe with friends or doing all the grocery shopping, but then they're doing all the yard work on Sunday after church, you know? So there's no rest. Rest comes as far back as the creation story. So we're not even keeping the Sabbath is not just going to church. It's actually resting. So love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might. How do we love him? We love him by obeying what he put in the Ten Commandments, what he put into his his law. Well, then the second part is like the first, but it's what how we love loving our brother, loving our neighbor as 
ourselves. Well, what does that look? Again, you go back to Leviticus and it tells you what it looks like. It tells you how to love your neighbor. When you borrow something, return it the way you found it or return it better. Replace what you break. If you see your neighbor's donkey, you know, in a ditch or whatever, you know, you, you pull it out, you help them, you help each other, you keep their boundaries, you don't encroach on their territory and their boundaries. All of these are rules with how to love your neighbor as yourself. And we find them all in the Torah. Right. And when Jesus said that, he said, love your neighbor, he was quoting Leviticus, which again, the crowd listening to him would have been like, okay, he's pointing us back to the Torah. But then us today, you know, so we, a lot of people take that out and they're like, well, now there's only two commandments. The rest of the commandments have gone, but that's not what he was saying. He was pointing straight back to the Torah. So, Mm -hmm. and even the 10 commandments, do you listen to um, Rabbi um, David Foreman at all? Yes. Yes. Okay. So he did all these teachings on the Ten Commandments. And I, I thought it was very interesting. And he talks about the layers of the Ten Commandments. And even how the first five is being respectful to authority, being respectful to your creator, including your parents. Right. The first five are all about your parents and about how to treat God and how to honor God. And the last five are about your relationship with other men and women, with your neighbor. Don't murder. Don't, you know, don't steal. Don't lie. Don't take their wife. Don't do this. You know, take their spouse or whatever, depending on who you are. But I thought that I don't see that specified in the church explanation of those that, mm-hmm. Yes. Five have to do with your creator. Five have to do with man and your relationship with men and women. And and I, I it's a light bulb. <laughs> you know? You're right, right. Yes. And a lot of those rabbinical teaching, I mean, the rabbis get a bad rap, but really mm-hmm. concepts like that really help us take away the message that is there. I mean, the message for us in the Ten Commandments that this is uh, the way to have a peaceful life in a peaceful society. We respect God. And we respect each other mm-hmm. and how to do that. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? I, I mean, yeah. and that's what, you know, kind of gets me excited when I learn things like that. And then God says, see, this is what I meant. Now right. you're getting it. Now you're understanding it. <laughs> and so yes. what would you say are some of the benefits? Maybe we've talked about this. We've included some of this, but the benefits of learning the Hebrew roots perspective you know, whether it's Shabbat, whether it's the the Lord's Feast, because I like, they are the Lord's Feast. We kind of call in the Jewish Feast, but they're actually the Lord's Feast. And, but what do we have to gain as Christians? Because, you know, we always say that yeah. that's all for Jewish people. Right. So yes, you're right. He calls them my feasts. Um, So when I was first kind of going down this path, I was trying to teach my kids and they were little and I was trying to teach them about the Bible and trying to find ways to teach them. But I was also on this path of figuring out what the feasts were. And so I started kind of implementing those into my house and Passover was first. Well, the Sabbath was first and then Passover and through just doing those in your home, you teach the kids and the other people who are there about it. So you, I mean, if you go through a Passover Seder, you are teaching the story over and over and kids, you know, they get this multi-sensory thing. They are tasting, they are smelling, they're hearing, they're seeing. And just by 
bringing those feasts into my home, my whole family has grown in their knowledge of the Bible and spiritually by leaps and bounds. So that I would say is one huge thing is just you grow spiritually and you grow closer to God because you understand then more about God. You see him interacting with his people in these feasts over and over. You know, he says the reason for these feasts, and there's at least two, maybe more, that he said the reason for these feasts, the reason I'm giving you these feasts is so that you remember what I did. And people are forgetful. And we can go back and we can be like, God, this is what you did for them. This is what you did for me over and over every year. So that's one huge thing. I just think, and and that's the thing that makes me so excited about it is because now it's something that my family has taken on. I mean, my kids will kind of regulate this, you know, for themselves. They'll be like, oh, so, you know, we don't do that because this is Shabbat. We do other things on Shabbat, you know, or what they eat. They'll, they'll, I mean, they, they take this on themselves as their own faith. And I just think that um, seeing it played out in those feasts has, has been a huge thing for us. The other thing that um, I always talk about is it would be, it's hard for me now to read the scriptures and see it the way that I used to see it, because I feel like it didn't always fit together. So like, I thought that we weren't supposed to do the laws or, or, you know, listen to the, the, laws of the Torah, but Yeshua says that he didn't come to abolish that. And so I would kind of have to pretzel my way around figuring out why that was okay with me and explaining what he said when he just plainly said, that's not what I came to do. Things like that. It just, it fits together. I feel at peace with my faith. I wouldn't say I understand everything, but those were those are the two big benefits, I would say. One of the things that's a really hot subject is about the dietary laws that especially with Christians, and I, I don't even know, I assume that you follow the dietary laws. We didn't really talk anything about that. But there's this book I found recently that someone suggested and it says, and I think the title, it comes from a verse in Exodus and I was trying to remember where the verse was. But he was basically talking about that if you keep my commands, if you follow my statutes, what if you do this, if you do this, if you keep to everything I've told you to do, then I will keep these diseases that you saw in Egypt. I will keep them from you. And I remember thinking, um, and the book is based on that. So it's, it's, or none of these diseases is the title of the book. And so it's taken from that verse, but one of the things that my husband and I did is we we gave up pork many years ago for basically for health reasons. At first, we we realized through someone who was mentoring us that the Bible does say no pork. I mean, he he says he gives a list of animals that are unclean and then he just comes right out and says, do not eat pig. I mean, he says it pretty clearly, but we've taken that verse to mean it doesn't mean us, but But what this book goes into are the health benefits of eating the way the Lord put the clean and unclean animals and foods in the law, in the Torah, the health benefits to those. And one of the first benefits, and this people don't like to hear this at all, but we know that animals carry parasites, but, but most of the time we're taught that 
you can just cook out these parasites. They're going to die in the oven. They're going to die when you cook them. Um, but what I learned, because I actually taught biology, I was a tutor and a teacher in biology, anatomy, and, and health, and all those different things. But the life cycle of the roundworm, the pig is its primary host. So when we eat pig, it's the eggs that you cannot cook out. Mm -hmm. And what happens, there's one place, there's one way that these eggs open once they're in the digestive system of another body, another, whether it's human being or another animal, but it opens through hydrochloric acid. Well, that's exactly what we have in our stomachs. So the hydrochloric acid in our in our stomach opens up the eggs they immediately then they survive the hydrochloric acid and they get into the intestines and then as they multiply in your body they go up into the lungs and into your bronchial tubes and i was suffering with terrible terrible headaches i was suffering with um allergies terrible allergies but also asthma and i mm-hmm. recently learned that there's a type of asthma that's called eosinophil asthma and eosinophils are white blood cells in our body. And I'm sorry, this is going into all like all the biology stuff, but they're white <laughs> blood cells that, that actually fight parasites. They fight parasites okay. in our body and they fight pathogens. They also fight allergens. But I thought mm-hmm. that was so interesting when they started naming the asthma after these white blood cells that fight among other things parasites and i'm like okay so people don't realize that some of their asthmatic issues are due to parasites in their lungs because that's where they go to lay more eggs and and the body fights it by inflammation the body fights everything through inflammation so when we are full of inflammation that's the body fighting something and whether it's parasitical or viral or bacteria it's fighting something inflammation is what kills us it's really what leads to our death in eventually and i just thought it was so interesting because i was having inner ear issues and all sorts of things and once i went on a parasitical cleanse which was completely natural it wasn't a drug And once I gave up all pork and shellfish and everything, my headaches went, my asthma went, it was all gone. All those things were gone and they stayed gone until, you know, maybe I ate something that had pork in it or whatever and didn't know it. I just asked people, is there any bacon in this? Is there anything? And it's not because I'm legalistic and it's not because I think that I'm going to be saved or I'm going to be some position higher than anybody else in heaven. It's because actually I didn't want those parasites back in my body. That was the main reason I did it. That's very interesting. I think, you know, as our creator, it makes perfect sense that God would know exactly how we work. Like he has the manual on humans because he made them and he knows how they work the best. So I think we can trust what he says for us to to put in, you know, you, you would say which kind of fuel you put in a car when you make a car. So that's what kind of fuel he has told us to, you know, put into us. But um, a lot of times I think about the, the story of Adam and Eve um, when we talk about dietary things and because nobody would point back to Adam and Eve and be like, well, they didn't need to obey God because he didn't give them the why, you know, he said, don't eat from the tree. He said, don't eat from this tree. 
And he didn't give them the why. And they did it. And no one would say, well, it was fine that they did that because they didn't know why it was. But they knew that God had said that. So I know that there are reasons that God has told us to eat what he said to eat. But even if we don't know them, or even if we don't have those reasons, we can just trust that he knows what's best for us because he knows the consequences of us doing something other than what he said. And it's not to make our lives inconvenient and to take away our right. favorite foods. It's it's for our health, for our well-being, for our spiritually, right. physically, and emotionally. Think about having multiple yes. partners, yeah. physical, sexual partners. It, is that good for you mm-hmm. physically? We've well, no, there are lots of diseases that are out there, right? That will, we can get from having many partners. Um, is it good for us emotionally? No, that comes with a lot of baggage. It comes with a lot of hurt of moving from one relationship to another. He didn't explain all those. He just said it was bad. And now we can look on people's lives and say, yes, this is why it's bad. He told us not to right, be unequally right. yoked. Well, look at people who are unequally yoked and and where they are different, you know, one might go to church, the other doesn't. And as a result, none of their kids do or something like that. I mean, there's reasons for everything. And we may not understand until we're on the other side of it, until we're in heaven, even maybe an 18 year old or 25 year old wants to marry a non-believer. But then when they're 50, they realize this has been a rough marriage. This has been hard. And why has it been hard? Because my husband doesn't want to go to church with me. My husband doesn't want to raise the children the same way. Yeah. And yeah. not to disparage anybody or or make anybody feel full of guilt. It's not that at all. But there's reasons. Mm. There's reasons why he says do not divorce because it is painful. Obviously, abuse and all those reasons that are very, very good reasons to leave somebody. But just for somebody better or younger or prettier or whatever, that's going to leave a wake of hurt yes. and abandonment in even in our children. And so, so many reasons yes. we just can't yes. deny. There's blessings in us following his commands. So why would we not want, you know, to be, to receive more of God's blessings because we live the way that he said to live. Yes. Very good. Anything else you want to share? Um, You know, I really think that kind of once Christians head down this path, they they take in information from all sources and you can go to Jewish sources. You can go on the Internet if you're brave. And <laughs> there's there's a lot of voices out there. But I really as I said this earlier, I really want to reiterate that this really does have to be a journey between you and God. And you have to constantly seek for the spirit to guide you. And you have to seek what is in the word and what God is really saying, and go to him with all of that, with each step that you take. It can't be yours. It can't be, it can't even be your pastor's journey or someone online, or if you read my stuff, either way, everybody needs to take this. This has to be between them and God. Very good advice. Thank you. And just to reiterate, you can find Holly at HebrewRootsMom.com. And her book is Bring Shalom to Your Home, A Guide to Biblical Hebraic Living for Christians. For me, it was like after 10 or 12 years of learning, 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 the Lord finally just said to me, when are you going to stop learning and just do? Because right now it all sounds good in your head and it all looks good on paper when you write about it. But when are you going to do it? 
And I think that's the question we all get to. When are you going to do it? And that's what I tried to provide is some practical information of how to apply this in your life. And so I hope that is what it is for people. And very good stuff. Lots of questions, lots of Q&A she has on there, lots of articles and all sorts of things. So it's a good site. Like I said, once I read her site, I knew I wanted to talk to her. So we had about an hour long conversation on the phone. And yes, I love we decided to get on the podcast and talk. I will leave our websites and everything. Um, so you can find us both on Facebook. You can find us on our websites and I'll have all of that information for you. So, but thank you so much, Holly, for being here. I so appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at graftedjewishrt. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.